Welcome to the Ruby Book Club podcast, where we read an hour of Ruby Book each week and dissect it with you. I'm Saran, developer and founder of Code Newbie. And I'm Nadia, developer and director at Ignition Works. So today with Pat Shaughnessy's Ruby Under a Microscope, we're going to start chapter six. And this is all about method lookup and constant lookup. We're going to touch on how Ruby implements modules and also its method lookup algorithm. Remember to follow us on Twitter at Ruby Book Club. And if you're reading along and you're on Twitter, tweet at us and let us know what you think of the book so far. We'd love to hear from you. So how did you find this week's reading? I really liked this week's reading. I thought that it was overall pretty simple. There are a couple of things that I had to read over a couple of times just to get it in my head. But once I did, I thought the way that Pat laid out um, the method lookup algorithm was pretty neat. And he went through a few examples, starting from the code and then going on to, so what if we called this method? And what if we called that method? And I thought it was just a great way to work through it. What about you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really, really enjoyed it as well. It felt very similar to last week's reading where I felt like I was already familiar with some of the high-level concepts, but I didn't know about the implementation of them. I didn't know what it actually looked like internally. And so this was this was just awesome. It was a really great way to dig into topics that I'm familiar with, but I don't actually understand. So yeah, I had a really great time with this reading. Fantastic. So shall we dig in? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so we are starting chapter six, which is called Method Lookup and Constant Lookup. So the first thing that Pat points to, which is kind of funny because we're going to talk about a lot of pointers in this <laughs> in this episode, uh, is this concept of a huge giant tree structure. And we've talked about different structures and this book is full of different diagrams and visual aids, which is super helpful. But in this reading, we're really focused on this tree structure. And this tree structure is showing us how the different objects, the different classes, how they all relate to each other. So looking at that tree, if we start all the way at the base, at the bottom, we have our object class, which internally is the base object class. We've talked about that, I think, in the last chapter. And this base object class is the default superclass. So that's where everything kind of ends up here, or I guess everything starts here. And then as we move up the tree into the branches and the leaves, that's where the classes that we make, that's where they appear, that's where they live. So in this reading, we're going to talk about how that tree is constructed and also moved around and shifted based on uh, different things that we do with our class. So the first thing that we look at is how Ruby implements modules. And I was really excited about this because modules are something that... I'm not always sure when to use it. I've I've always been a little bit fuzzy on what the difference is between a module and a class and kind of when to use which one. And it's just always been like a, a fuzzy gray area that I've never really understood. So I was really excited to dig into this. So first thing that Pat does is he talks about the similarities and the differences between modules and uh, regular classes. And he says that while modules are similar to classes, they are handled a little bit differently in three ways. So number one is the fact that you cannot create objects directly from modules. So for example, you can't call the new method on a module because that's reserved for a class. The second thing is the fact that you can't specify a superclass for a module the way that you can a regular class. And the last thing that we point out is that you can include a module into a class using the include keyword. And that's probably the one that I was most familiar with of those three differences. 
So now that we know those differences, we want to explore, well, what are modules exactly? And how does Ruby understand them? How does it represent them? Does it use the R module structure? And what does it mean to include a module? So we're going to get into all of that good stuff. So the first thing that we find out is that Ruby implements modules as classes. So they take a very similar structure to what we saw in chapter five, in that there's another R class and RB class X struct structure pair. And so if we look at figure 6-1, we can see an example of what a module looks like. And so it's very similar to the class thing, but there are some things missing. So we have, and I'm going to start from the left, we've got the value pointer pointing into an R class structure, um, which is labeled module. And then inside the R class structure, we have the R basic structure that we're used to seeing. This has flags and class, just like normal, with a K. Then under that, we've got uh, the method table and then a pointer to the RB class extract. And inside that, it has super, which is a super class pointer. IV table, which is the class level instance variable table. We've got a constants table and we've also got origin, which is something that's used by the uh, module prepend method. And so here are the things that are not included in that, which we did have in the class. So we don't have the instance variable index table because as Saron said earlier, we can't create object instances. So therefore, since you can't call new, there are no object level attributes that we're going to keep track of. And the other things that modules don't use is the refined class thing. And I think that's to do with refinements and we're gonna find out more about that later. And it also doesn't use allocator, which is something we haven't really looked at in detail. We do have super, as I said, and that's because modules do have super classes internally, but we don't specify them ourselves. And so then what Pat does is we have a definition for a module similar to the ones we've had before for Ruby objects and Ruby classes. And this says that a Ruby module is a Ruby object that also contains method definitions, a super class pointer, and a constants table. And Pat says that we're just gonna ignore the origin uh, value for now. So now we're going to talk about including a module into a class. And this is where we see the real magic, says Pat. So in example 6-1, we have some code. We've got module professor and then end. So it's an empty module. And then we have class mathematician, which inherits from class person. And inside that class, we include professor. So Pat says that when we run this code, Ruby creates a copy of the R-class structure for professor and sets that to be the new superclass for mathematician. And then what happens is the superclass for professor becomes person. And so we see what's happening in figure 6-2. And for me, this was something that initially I thought was a bit confusing, but then I realized it was quite simple it was just perhaps maybe the way it was represented uh, was difficult and maybe it could have been split out into two diagrams but what's essentially going mm -hmm. on is that before so before we uh, have the professor module we've got the mathematician r class whose super pointer points to the person r class whose super pointer points to another superclass. I think this is for example purposes. And that one eventually points to the object superclass. However, when we include a module as we did as professor, what happens is we've got the R class uh, 
structure for Professor, which lives somewhere. And then we see that a copy is made of that. So that's, we've got another box in this diagram called R class and it's labeled included class. And what happens is now if we go down the ancestry, ancestry train, ancestry train that doesn't make sense the the tree the and the tree of ancestors <laughs> <The> train <laughs> <laughs> what happens in this world is that we've got the mathematician class again this time the super pointer points to the copy of the professor r class structure and that then points to the person r class structure so essentially we slot something else in in between the mathematician r class structure and the person r class structure where person mm-hmm. is the class that mathematician inherits from right so it's actually quite simple but i think when you say it it sounds more complicated than it is <laughs> yes i completely agree the diagram for me was helpful once i read the explanation because the dotted line that connects the mathematician class to the person class I was like wait is that still there or is that the before like I was kind of confused of what to do with that but once I read the um the actual description of it I was like okay that's fine yeah and then there was a note which when I read it again it took me a couple of times but it says Ruby implements extend in exactly the same way so this is the method because you can extend a module as opposed to including it And apparently the difference is that the included class becomes the super class of the target class's class or meta class. (laughs) Thus, extend allows you to add class methods to a class. So it took me a while to piece together what was going on there. And I realized this could have probably been quickly cleared up with another diagram. But I guess Pat didn't want to focus on it. But I think what it's saying is that the included class, so the um, the copy of the module, in fact, becomes the super class. So the, so the person class in this case would point to the um, copy of the modules class. So that way you can add class methods still. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Via the yeah, module. Mm-hmm. I think. Cool. So next we're going to read about Ruby's method lookup algorithm. So basically here we're going to talk about when we are trying to call a method how does Ruby actually find that method, especially now that we've talked about modules and superclasses and all that good stuff. So Pat says that Ruby uses a very precise algorithm to search through the modules and classes in your program in a particular order to find the target method. And when I read that sentence, I thought, okay, here we go. Let's buckle up Same. and we're going to go, right? <laughs> we're going to go on a journey. Um, but the <laughs> diagram is actually very simple. So if we look at figure 6-3, we start all the way at the top and it says set current class to receiver, which is the first step, which is totally fine. Cool. Then we go down and the next step is look through method table in current class. So we've already talked about the fact that each class has a method table. So we're going to go there, see if we can find the name of that method. And then we go to the third step, which is asking the question, okay, is the method found? If the method is not found, then we move over to the right and we take a step called set current class to super class of current class. So basically we're going to go down the tree. And then we loop back around to what was originally our second step, which is look through method table in current class. So because the current class is another super class, we're looking at the super class's method table. And then we go back down and ask our question, okay, is the method found? And if that method is found, then we take our final step, which is call the method, which is how I would have guessed that it worked. I was exactly going to say this. So 
If someone had asked me before reading this book, how does method lookup work? I would have said, well, surely it checks the current thing. And if it doesn't, it goes one step up. It goes one step up. Mm-hmm. When Pat said, oh, there's, the, you know, there's going to be this precise algorithm. I was like, oh, we're going to learn about some secret magic, something different that happened. <laughs> and then it was like, oh, so it's how I would have guessed it. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So did you, did you like that it's that simple or were you hoping for some No, magic? I love that it's this simple. Okay, me too. I was, me like, too. I was like, wow, oh this is amazing because I would, yeah. I already classed this in my head. But now that we have this yeah. extra understanding of what a super class pointer is, it seems right. it's simple, but yet also I feel like I've still got a deeper understanding of it at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So then we look into a specific example. So in listing 6-2, we're going to see how this works with our mathematician class. So in our mathematician class, we have two adder accessor methods, first name and last name. Then we're going to introduce a superclass, and that superclass is called person. So we're going to go back to that class mathematician, and now we're going to have it inherit from person with the adder accessor method still in that mathematician class. And then we're going to move those adder accessors out of mathematician, and we're going to instead put them in our person class. So now we have class person with our adder accessors for first name, last name, and, and then we have our class mathematician inheriting from person. And now the final step is going to be creating and including a module professor. So listing 6-5, the final setup is class person, adder accessor, first name, and last name. And then we have a module professor with only one method. The method is def lectures, and it's just empty. And then we have our class mathematician inheriting from person. And now we're adding include professor into that mathematician class. Can I just say that... It would have been very easy for someone writing this book to just give us example 6-5 and just say, this is the code we're going to look at. Now let's look at the method algorithm. And it's so small and subtle, but it makes such a difference building it up that way to say, Mm -hmm, let's start mm -hmm. with a class and then we're going to do this and then we're going to do that. Because now that we have more of an understanding of how pointers work and we've been introduced to the method algorithm, we can understand like the evolution of code and what's happening in each stage. And it mm-hmm. just makes also grasping the method lookup algorithm like all the, all the more clear. And so I, yeah, it's a subtle thing, agree. which would yeah. be so easy just to say, here's the code, let's look at it. And I think it's really cool how Pat built that up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree with you. So now we're going to look at how method lookup algorithm behaves in action. So we're going to create Ramanujan equals mathematician.new. And then we're going to set the first name to Srinuvasa. So now we're going to examine the lookup for this. So in figure 6-4, first we start with the instance, Ramanujan, and then we are going to look at the object of that instance using the class pointer, which is with a K. And then that class pointer with a K points to the R class object of mathematician. And in that R class object, we're going to look at our method table to see if we can find a method name that is equal to first name equals. So we examine that method table. We see that it's entirely empty. Oh no. We actually don't have any methods. I know. It's very, it's very sad. <laughs> we have no methods at all. So it's empty. So now we're going to follow that lookup algorithm that we talked about. And we're going to look at mathematicians superclass. Now, because we included professor, the module professor, in our class mathematician, that super pointer, so make note that instead of using a class pointer, we're now looking at the super pointer, that points to the R class object 
of the copy of the professor module. And now that we're in that R class object, now we examine, now we examine the method table. And when we look at it, we see that we do have a method, but it's not the right one. The only method that we have in our professor module is called lectures. <laughs> <laughs> that was a really good sound effect. I might, <laughs> I might save that for, for the Coding Podcast. I'll really listen good. out for it. <laughs> so we still don't have that first name in professor. So now we have to go one step up again. So we look at the super pointer in the copy of the professor module. And that super pointer points to the R class object of person. And there we look at the method table, and that's where we find a few methods. We find first name equals first name, last name equals last name, because it's in person where we defined those methods. Yay! Success. And then just to wrap it all off, once we found the method, we now call the method dispatch process, and that's what we learned about in chapter four. And I, I'm trying to think, what was chapter four? And I think it was all to do with the the control like so the control ago. flow and actually executing the Yarv instructions. Oh, but yeah. now it's got me thinking because remember how we struggled with around chapters three and four, and I wonder mm -hmm. whether it would be interesting to know why Pat structured the book in the way he did. Because where I'm sitting now, part of me is like, surely you should have just started with all this stuff and then said, and now method yeah. dispatch happens. But maybe, I don't know, I maybe totally this stuff is easier because we did the bit before, but I don't think so because it seems no, isolated. I, so. mm -hmm. I completely agree. And I, like, yeah. I feel like we're now on a higher level now and we could have, like the book could have benefited from then drilling down into all the local table and all that stuff. But, you know, maybe Pat had his reasons. Maybe we struggle through that and that's why we're really loving this bit now. I don't know. But it's just an interesting approach, right? Because... This stuff happens before method dispatch, but we already like mm -hmm, struggled mm -hmm, through mm -hmm. that section. So I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree with you. When I read this, I, I, I thought to myself, yeah, this is the stuff that is, I think would be most familiar to a Ruby developer who, you know, uses Ruby on a daily basis, on a consistent basis. And starting here and then going, okay, now we have a really good excuse to dig into method dispatch. This would have been a, a really good um, a segue for that. So yeah, I agree. I totally, I was thinking the same thing when I saw that. So Pat, let us know uh, if you're listening to this, uh, whether there was a key reason for introducing the method dispatch and all the local table stuff first. So then to wrap up this week's reading, we look at multiple inheritance in Ruby. So Pat says that, as we can see, when we include a module, it uses the same setup for class inheritance. And in fact, there is no difference behind the scenes between including a module and specifying a superclass. And so because as we saw that even when we include a module, Ruby keeps things simple because it just still sticks to enforcing a single list of ancestors, that means that we can add more complexity into our apps, but behind the scenes it remains simple. So if we're including multiple modules, it's just the same as specifying multiple superclasses. Although, Saron, I was thinking, how often do you, does one specify multiple superclasses in a Ruby class? Do you ever see That's that? That's what I was wondering too. Yeah, because I feel like that, that doesn't sound like a good thing yeah. to do. That sounds like something you should avoid. Yeah, it sounds like you'll just get into a world of mess if you've got many superclasses and then where do you put right. all the methods? Where do they live? So I'm not sure that's something you want to do and I don't know whether if you have that, that is a comment on the structure and the, the, the maintainability of your app. But if you did end up doing it, at least, you know, behind the scenes, you can write, you know, one line from top to bottom of how the, uh, the, how the tree of uh, inheritance looks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
And then, you know, Pat says that when you call a method, Ruby simply just has to iterate through that superclass linked list until it finds the method. And so, you know, I finished this reading thinking, oh, that's great. There is nothing more complicated. It just stays as that. Well, so one of the things that I was wondering, though, is how does it know what order to go in? You know, if there are multiple superclasses. Okay, so so this is the thing that kind of confused me a little bit because in the example that we had, we had one module. And so the idea that it kind of inserted itself or a copy of itself between the um, the two classes made sense to me. But if you have multiple modules and it's still trying to flatten it out and make one list, how does it know what order to do the method look like? I bet you it's just in the order that you write it. Like if you say include That's what person, I thought, yeah. include alien, include, I don't know, something else. Yeah. Animal. <laughs> Yeah, it just I think it just does it in that order. That doesn't feel very Ruby-esque to me. Like a lot of, you know, the beauty of the language is that it makes it really, really easy for developers to to use and doesn't have, you know, silly things like semicolons and you know, indentation rules. Like, you know, there's kind of like those things that it actively avoids. So feeling like the the inheritance of the method lookup is dependent on the order in which I put in modules, that feels that feels weird. I guess it's kind of like um on one hand, you could say it maybe it's something you want to avoid for that reason, that is including so right, many different yeah. modules. But then on the yeah. other hand, it's like, it could be that really, if you're including multiple modules, they're probably all very different. And so That's the order doesn't matter yeah. because it's not like you're going to have first name maybe in this place or in that place. They're probably very different mm-hmm. things if you do have multiple modules. And so therefore, it's best to default to the simplest thing, which is I'm just going to make an ancestry tree, which is one after the other based on how you've put them in your file. And so really, if you're, mm-hmm. I think if you're writing a good program, you shouldn't care about the order. As in, if you're having to move your modules around because of inheritance order, you've probably got something else wrong. Like you've probably yeah, got too many things yeah. mixed in together. And so I think like if you're writing Ruby well, you won't care about the order. But if you are having to move around your modules because like it's looking in the wrong place or it's taking the wrong version of a method, then I think you've got mm-hmm. some other bigger problems in your program. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So this week, the reading for me was, I'm going to give it another 10. I really liked it. Another 10 for me. <laughs> Whoa. I just, I can't think of a reason to give it a lower score. Like it was, it was easy to understand. The diagrams were great. The breakdown was awesome. I really enjoyed it. I finally understand. I finally feel like I have a, a better understanding of modules and its role compared to classes, which is always something that I've always kind of wondered about but never took the time to really dig into so yeah I really enjoyed it what about you I don't know what I'm holding out for but I'm giving it a nine okay <laughs> I, don't what, I don't know what I'm expecting I'm really enjoying it the book is great I, I it's probably one of those things that so I'm reading it on a kindle but every week mm. I keep being like oh I need to buy a paper copy of this and have it like yeah, under my do. arm because yeah. you know I'm going to be developing Ruby for years and I just need this as a reference point um, <laughs> and the other thing is that actually you know, we had a great recording last week. It's actually inspired a new technical talk idea for me. So this book is giving me so oh, much cool. already. It's a very early very idea, cool. so I haven't formed it yet. But I'm st- I don't know what I'm holding up for, but I'm, I'm just going to give it a nine. <laughs> That's okay. That's cool. So we want to know, what did you think of the reading this week? Tweet us your score at Ruby Book Club and tell us how you plan to use the takeaways from this episode in your next project. See you next week. Cheerio. Cheerio.